Well, men, there are right ways and wrong ways to praise your wife or to compliment your wife. Um, You probably wouldn't say, it probably wouldn't work well for you to say, oh, honey, you look great today. You fixed your hair. Probably. And with Valentine's Day coming up, men, you might want to take notes here, okay? This could help you. Um, Yeah, that probably wouldn't be the best way to to go about praising your wife. No, instead, if you want to praise your wife, you're going to tell her how beautiful she is from head to toe. And, and you're going you're gonna to talk about her character. Honey, it's the heart that you have. I treasure that. I love the way you're always sacrificial. You always put others ahead of yourself. You're going to praise her like that. And so there's a right way and a wrong way to, to, to praise your wife, to compliment your wife. Is there a right way to, to praise God? Well, that's one of the questions that we're going to think about this morning. And what, what role does, does praise or, or does honoring God, what role does that play in, in our prayer life? And so we'll think through those uh, this morning as we journey through uh, the Lord's Prayer, or probably better called the model prayer. You'll remember that we have been studying for some time. We've gone, we've come back to it right now, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, we're in Matthew chapter 6, and the crowds are gathered around. He's on a hill and there are just there are people everywhere. But he says specifically to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what it means to be my follower. This is what it means to be a follower of mine. And so let's look uh, at the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this morning, in just a moment, we'll focus in on verse 9. But I want us to think about the Lord's Prayer for a moment as a whole. Uh, And before we we jump in, I want to address an issue that that, uh, skeptics often make uh, regarding the New Testament. There are a lot of folks out there you're going to talk to, going to run into these ideas on the internet, perhaps in a classroom, perhaps talking to a friend, but somebody's going to say to you, you can't believe the Bible. You can't believe the stuff that's in the Bible. Well, you say to your friend, well, why can't I? Well, the Gospels, the New Testament, hope, hopelessly contradicts itself. How, how can you believe it? Well, show me an example. And this might be an example that they show you. Because let's look at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Um, Here we see Jesus praying a similar prayer. In verse 1, we see that Jesus has been praying in a certain place. And then his disciples come to him and they say to Jesus, teach us how to pray. Show us how to pray. And in verse 2, this is what Jesus said. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, if you compare these two prayers, you're going to see that they are not exactly the same words. And the setting's different. When when we talk about the, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, it's the crowds who are listening. But here, it's a small group of disciples. And so some skeptics will say, look at this. Did Jesus say these words in Matthew? Or was it those words in Luke? Which is it? Was Jesus talking to crowds of people or was he gathered around with just his disciples? Which is it? 
You're going to say, you believe this book? You believe all that stuff about heaven and everything? And then it contradicts itself? Oh, they would say to you, there's a better way. Leave it alone. Leave it behind. It's not true. But the question is, is there a good answer for this? And there certainly is. Jesus traveled around for for three years, teaching in different places to different people. And he often taught on the same subject. And he often taught the same ideas using different words. It's like this. You're talking to someone and you tell them a story about something that happened to you in the grocery store that day. And then later, you talk to your spouse about the same thing. You don't use the exact same words. You convey the same ideas. You don't use the exact same words. And that's what's happening here. Jesus is teaching about prayer in one situation. He has the crowds gathered around him. In another situation, he's talking to his disciples. Is he contradicting himself? Certainly not. He's conveying the same ideas with different words. So I want you to hear me. When someone says to you, you cannot trust the Bible, it always or it sometimes contradicts itself, then I want you to remember this. There's an answer when people make that accusation. And here's the answer for this particular passage. Now let's jump in in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and we'll think about together what the meaning of the text is. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In this passage, we see an important principle of prayer. When you pray, recognize God for who he is. When you pray, recognize God for for who he is. Jesus begins by saying, pray then like this. Now, the fact that we have this passage in Luke that's similar teaches us that he's not asking us to memorize these words and only pray these words in a prayer. That's not the point. And that's why, in many ways, the Luke passage teaches us that. The same ideas are present, but not the exact same words. Now, sometimes we want to make our relationship with God something that's sort of rote. Like, well, I say these words, and then God will be pleased. It never works like that. You can't please God on your own, and I can't either. The only way we can be found pleasing to God is if the blood of Christ has covered us. Anything else will be vain. So so it's not that we're going to pray the exact words. Jesus is teaching us not exactly what to pray, but he's teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us about the attitudes that are critical in prayer. And he's teaching us us about the components of prayer, the, the, the parts of prayer that are important. And so we should think about Jesus' instruction here much less like a magical spell, like I'll utter these words and then everything will, God will show me favor. We shouldn't think about this prayer like that but more like a dad teaching his son how to swing a bat. It's not going to be the same every time, but the principles are there. So we're going to follow the principles of the passage uh, in Jesus' instructions on prayer. So he says, pray then like this, our Father. Now I want you to note this word our. A lot of the times we just kind of fly past those tiny words when we're reading the scriptures. But what does our remind us? That the Christian faith is always meant to be lived in community. Now, I talk about this a lot because it's a huge problem in our culture today. So much of our culture is driven by consumerism. Uh, That is to say, I do something as long as I get something out of it. And if, if this church meets my needs, then I'll come. If it doesn't, then I'll find something better. Or I'll take this from that church and this from this church, but I'm not really gonna connect or commit to anything. I I just sort of, I'm gonna do my own thing. It's me and Jesus. We'll do it how we wanna do it. But I want you to know that thought is everywhere in the world. But it's nowhere here. 
Because the New Testament teaches about a community of faith. And here when Jesus is teaching about prayer, he's teaching his disciples as a community, our Father. So he's instructing, when you pray together, and, and corporately this ought to guide our corporate prayers as well. We, we ought to pray similarly when we pray corporately with, with praise and, and all the different elements that we'll see later as we, as we take a look at the Lord's Prayer. So prayer is meant to be something that happens not just individually, Lone Ranger Christianity, but it's meant to be something that happens in a family, in a family of faith. Now, can you imagine a, a child, a five, six, seven, eight-year-old child saying, you know what, I'm done with this family. I'm leaving. I'm on my own. Now, they may say that, but it doesn't take long. And they start getting hungry, right? And they're back. They're ready to be a part of the family again. When we follow Jesus, we must not say to him, say to him, God, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't need a family. No, he created us to help each other and to serve each other and to shape each other. You know what? It's that person that drives you crazy in our church. If there are any, surely not. But if there are, it's that person that God's using to shape you and to help you become like himself. We need each other for the good and the bad, for the ups and the downs. And so, God intends for us to be a part of a family, and we see this even as Jesus models, uh, teaches us uh, this model of prayer. So Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father. Now we've talked about this a lot because all throughout this passage as Jesus taught about prayer, he's emphasized God as Father. But I want us to think more about it prior to Jesus. It wasn't customary to call out to God as Father. It wasn't wasn't customary. That wasn't the way people approached God in prayer. In Deuteronomy 32.6, the word says, Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is he not your Father who created you, who made you and established you? So here in the Old Testament, we would see God referred to as Father as a means of analogy, but never as a way to approach him directly. But what we see with Jesus is he's teaching us to go to him directly as a father. In Mark 14, 36, Jesus calls God Abba. This is the Aramaic word, and and, and it means daddy. It means daddy. It's, it's It's a term of endearment. And so Jesus is calling out to God, and he's saying, Dad, daddy, I... And he's talking to the Father. And Jesus teaches us that if we belong to him, if we are Christians, we get to go to God as a father. We get to go to him as our daddy. Doesn't that move you? That's incredible to think about. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my father. Here, Jesus refers to God as my father. And then in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, when discussing the forgiveness of sins, Jesus calls God your father, of course, because he doesn't have any sin. So, yes, does Jesus have a unique relationship with God the Father? Yes. He is the the second person of the Trinity, and he has a unique relationship with God as Father. But when we call out to Jesus in faith and we turn from our sin and believe in him, the scriptures tell us that we become children of God. We become children of God. And that means he's our father. How amazing is that? How amazing. As a father, he's not a cruel despot. He's not an indifferent acquaintance. He's not even a give-in-to-easy grandpa. 
No, he's a dad who's always and only focused on our best. Always, if we belong to him, always focused on our best. We, we don't understand a lot of the times the situations that he permits in our lives, but if he's our father, we can count on that. He's proven it over and over. And if you want absolute proof, then look to the cross where he gave up his own son and allowed his own son to suffer and to die that we might be redeemed, that we might be saved. So believers, we have a great privilege to call God our father. In Galatians 4, 6, Paul says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so we see that when you come to know Jesus, the spirit comes to dwell in you. Every person, when you call out to Jesus and you say to him, I am seeking you and asking you to forgive me of my sins and I'm putting my faith in you, the spirit of God comes to dwell inside of you. And what kind of relationship with God does the spirit bring? Well, the one that, that calls out Abba, the one that calls out Daddy. And that, that brings us assurance of, of our salvation, that, that we can know that, that we know him because the spirit dwells in our hearts and draws us close to him. You know, one of the evidences of this is when, when you're young, you usually don't. There are times you want to be honorary, but in general, you hope that your dad's pleased with you. You, you hope that, 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 that you make him proud. And in a sense here, the spirit works in our hearts and gives us a longing to, to please our father. He begins to reshape us and to change us. It's this intimacy. It's this closeness of, of wanting to know God. Now, please don't misunderstand me. God is never pleased with us because of our own behavior. He's always pleased with us because his son covers us because the, the blood of Jesus forgives us. The only way God can ever be ultimately pleased with me. But when the Spirit lives in our hearts, he gives us that hunger to, to, to follow God, to love him, to, to walk with him. So delight in the fact, if you know Jesus, that you can call out to God as a dad. Delight in that. Now, a word that, that's used in theology to describe this is a word called imminent. When we, when we talk about God's imminence, what it means is that he's right here with us. That he's right here. He's imminent. And when we think about calling God our Father, that's what we're admitting. And when we think about praying, it means that when we pray, we're not praying to a God who's a billion miles away, whose ear is messed up and he can't hear. But we're praying to a God who's right here, right here with us. We don't always feel that or know that, but we trust it by faith. We trust the word. He's imminent. He's here. He's with us. But notice what Jesus says next, our father in heaven. And now Jesus points to something that, that theologians call the transcendence of God. And this is this idea that God is greater than us, that he's bigger than us, that he's grander than us, that he's beyond us. And so Jesus just pointed in prayer to the imminence of God. He's right with us. And now he's pointing to the grandeur of God. He's transcended. He's bigger. He's better. That should give us hope. We're not talking to someone who's impotent. We're not talking to someone who, who can't move mountains. No, we're talking to a God who can move mountains, who created the whole universe. Isn't this amazing to think about? We're talking to him. Jesus says he's 
right here. And then he's grand and big and so far beyond us. The God of the heavens, the ruler of the universe, the creator of the whole world. He's mighty. He's majestic. And so Jesus here focuses on God's bigness, God's grandeur. So imagine standing at the bottom of a skyscraper, maybe at the foot of the Empire State Building or uh, the World Trade Center, and just looking up. And just look, if you're standing at the foot of it, as if it went on forever and ever and ever. And God's grandeur is like that. It's beyond words. It's bigger than us. It's, it's, it's something so far beyond us. And yet we see that this God is a God who's willing to hear us as a dad. Oh, that should move us this morning. It should move us. Oh. So what does Jesus say next? Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now, this is the idea of, uh, of, of saying, God, may your name be made holy. May your name be made great. Now, Please don't misunderstand me. We can't do anything to improve upon God's character because God's character can't be improved upon. He is absolutely perfect. He is completely holy. There's nothing we could do to really make him more holy or to make him more perfect. So what's Jesus teaching? He's saying, he's praying and teaching his disciples to pray. Pray that God's name would be made great. Pray that people would, would, would revel in who he is and in his holiness. So pray that the people will grasp how great God is and that they'll praise him and worship him. And that's what he means by may your name be hallowed. That's what he's saying. Now God's name points to who he is. It points to his character. In ancient times, we know that names were especially important. A name was associated often with the essence of a person in ancient times. So a name wasn't just your parents, you know, looked at the baby list names and picked out a cute name. It wasn't like that. No, names meant something. And here God's name means his very character, his very essence. And what is his character? Well, we can say that God is absolutely holy, completely holy. He's righteous, he's pure, he's perfect in all that he is. And prayer recognizes the holiness of God. When we pray, we ought to recognize his holiness, his purity, his beauty. And so Jesus prays, may you be treated as holy. What do we see here? A deep desire that God might be glorified. A deep desire that God might be glorified. Now, uh, when we think about uh, something that, that we have deep desires about, maybe you're hoping to get, to get a job and you're really thinking, man, if I could just get this job or if I could get that promotion, it really drives you in it and it pushes you. You make decisions and, and, and make uh, uh, different kinds of um, uh, uh, choices to try to advance and get that job because of your deep desire to have that job or to get that promotion. And you could fill in the blank with all sorts of examples from life. But here what we see is Jesus' deep desire is that God's people would glorify him. That 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 would be the deep desire of our hearts. 
Now, I want you to think about this. This is different than we think about Christianity often in America. Often we think about Christianity as, hey, if I, if I get close to God, then he's going to make everything great in my life. We, we probably wouldn't put it that way, but that's really what we think. But that's not the testimony of Scripture. The testimony of Scripture is that when we come to know Jesus, the driving desire of our lives is not that, that now everything is great for me. The driving desire of my life is that no matter what happens, God might be honored in my life, that his name might be made holy. And so now when I'm walking through the challenges and the hardships of life in a Genesis 3 world, a world that's broken by sin, now I'm not sitting around pitying myself. Oh, poor me, this happened and that happened. No, instead I'm saying, God, you've got a purpose for this and I want you to be glorified. So now instead of keeping my attention upon myself, Now I'm set free from that and I can put my attention on his glory and honor and so God, whatever you allow my path to take, you be glorified. Hallowed be your name in the midst of this God. I will not sit here and live here feeling sorry for myself. God, no, I will ask how this can bring you glory, how your name can be made holy and hallowed in the midst of this. So Jesus is saying, desire and seek in prayer that God might be worshipped as the incredible and awesome God that he really is. May your name be made holy. Now when we think about uh, uh, a sterile environment, think of an operating room, right? The utmost care is given to maintaining a uh, a clean and sterile environment in an operating room. Everybody's wearing the right kind of garb. They've, they've washed and scrubbed up. All the tools have been sterilized and instruments have been sterilized properly because there's not a bit of dirt or germs on any of that. That's the goal. And what Jesus is pointing to here is that God is holy like that, but even greater, not a bit of anything that's bad or impure. No, holy. And so the greatest good for all of us, for you and for me, is to know him and to revel in his holiness. It's to know him and be close to him and to enjoy him and to praise him for his absolute holiness and purity, his goodness, all those things. See, all of us, we're gonna worship something. We were created to worship God, created us to be worshipers. Now, some of us will bow down and we will worship a person and we'll make our lives all about this person. Incidentally, we'll always be let down when we do that because, well, people are sinful just like us and we all let each other down. Or we'll worship prestige or power or money. Oh, if I can just get more and I'll get more and I'll have this and we'll, we'll get that and it'll be so awesome, it'll be so great. And we bow down and we worship at the foot of all of those kinds of things. And the list could go on. Each of us has different things that we have a tendency to be lured away from our worship of God. We we have a tendency to be lured away to these idols to worship them. But the greatest good and the most joy that you'll ever find is when you decide, God, I'm done worshiping all these things. I want my life to find that you are my greatest treasure and I want your name to be made holy in my life. And when you get there, brothers and sisters, 
you found the greatest joy ever. Now, I understand we, 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 in all of our lives, mine included, we have kind of an up and down in our relationship with God. Sometimes we're, we're headed in the right way. We're finding our joy in him no matter what life is throwing at us. And then sometimes, well, we begin to get off track. But I'm saying to you this morning and to me, if you find your greatest joy in God's name being made holy, there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better. That, that's the highest good that his name might be glorified. Now, the prophet Ezekiel, um, he prophesied to the Israelites who had been taken captive in Babylon. We, some of you have been talking about that in your small groups and Bible studies. But God said that his people had profaned his name. They had profaned his name among the nations. In Ezekiel 36, verse 22, the scriptures say, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So this passage reminds us that God's name is who he is. He intends for his character to be upheld. So for those of us who know God, who who have a relationship with Jesus, if we live however we want to live, what we're doing is we're profaning his name, just like the people of old did. And what does a loving father do in our lives? Well, he'll often bring discipline in our lives. Hebrews 12 talks about that. Not to hurt us, but to bring us home. Not Not to wound us and to destroy us. No, if we belong to him, he would never want to do that. No, but to bring us home, to get us back where we belong. And so here, those of us who know him are called to live in such a way that we make his name great. And this ought to influence, again, the way that we pray. We're going to think about all this in terms of prayer again in just a moment. But imagine when a foreign dignitary is coming uh, to, to the States well, all sorts of preparations are made and, and bands are there and, and, and everything is, is sorted out right. And it's going to be a big and spectacular time because you want to honor this, this dignitary. You, wanna, you want to, to make it clear that you respect them and who they are. Well, those of us who know God are supposed to live lives that reveal who he is all the time. In the way that we speak, the words that we use, the way we treat people, the way we do business, the way we serve. Husbands, the way you put your wife's needs ahead of your own. Parents, the way you nurture and care for your kids, even when you're worn flat out, you keep loving them and caring for them. In all those ways and countless others, we're making his name holy. We're showing who he is that he's a God who serves, that he's a God, that he's a God who's pure. All those ways, we're, we're making his name holy. So, a dog, well, a dog is made to bark. A hammer, a hammer is made to nail. A tractor, a tractor's made to plow. 
And brother, sister, I want you to know if you belong to God, you were made for his glory. You were made for his glory. Get that. Quit trying to be something that you're not. Quit trying to make your life about something less. No, be what God has called you to be. That's where the greatest joy is at. That's where life is at. So, what does this look like in our lives? It means that we need to spend time praising God for who he is. Spend time praising God for who he is. So how do we pray? How does this impact our prayers? Well, spend some time when you, when you get alone. Remember in that, uh, a, f- a few weeks back, we talked about getting into your inner room or getting into the closet and just seeking God. What does that look like when, when you do that, when you pray? Then spend some good time praising God, honoring him for who he is. And, and we've, we've got some great examples here. We can, we can praise him for being a father who's loving We can praise him for being a father who disciplines and cares and who doesn't let us go too far, who who will bring us home. We can praise him for being a God of the heavens, a great and sovereign king. And so we should spend some time in our prayers. God, I praise you because you're a father who always hears. God, I praise you because even though I dropped the ball, you're the dad that, that picks me back up and helps me keep going. So spend some time praising him for who he is in your prayers. That's a critical part of prayer. Want to know a key to prayer? Part of it is spending some good time focusing on who he is, making his name holy, if you will. Now, thinking through the impact on prayer, second, I want to say, realize the importance of attitude. Realize the importance of attitude. Prayer is not about saying the right words. It's not that. Prayer is about approaching God with the right heart. It's about saying to God, I want to I be close to you. I want my life to honor you. So what's the right heart? We pray with a holy respect for God, with, with a, a love for him, a, a holy respect for him. Not like a child demanding something or like a salesman trying to talk God out of something. N- none of that. But like a traveler standing at the foot of the Grand Canyon and taking in the grandeur. Oh, God, you are awesome. You're awesome. You're amazing. So we need to have an attitude of awe as we come into the presence of God. Third, realize the importance of holy living. Realize the importance of holy living. Our lives ought to reveal that we have an awe of God. So if you're the guy who gets with the other fellas and you're kind of telling the edgy jokes and the dirty jokes, does that reveal an awe of God? It doesn't. If you're the guy who gets out there and, boy, you can, you can let them have it, man, and you can tell them how it is, you can use every word in the book, You'll be here Sunday, it's all good, but you, you, you just speak however you want. Brother, that's not making God's name holy. That's not revering him. That's not living in awe of him. So we want to have lives that are holy. We want to have a desire to make his name great. When we really draw close to God in prayer, our lives are going to reveal it in the way that we live at work, at home, when we're alone, when we're with friends. God is very concerned that his children 
live a life that reveals who he is. And please understand me, not so that God's pleased with you or that you earn his favor. Again, that only happens through Jesus. But because once we know him, he calls us to change. And we'll find our greatest joy when we begin to change. Trust me, if you're trying to to be a believer and you're trying to kind of live like the world and follow Jesus, that's a miserable place to be. The greatest joy is found when when you're striving to know him and love him completely in every way. In fact, the psalmist suggested that if our hearts were set on sin, the Lord wouldn't hear our prayers. Psalm 66, 18 said, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And so if we want God to hear our prayers, then we gotta come to the place where we really wanna live a life that pleases him, a life that honors him, that glorifies him. Now, please hear me, this isn't. I'm going to live right so that I can earn God's favor. It's not that I want to say that over and over again. It's I want to live right because I know his favor, because I've experienced his grace, and how could I turn my back on him because of how good he is? It's to say, God, I want your name to be made holy in all the ways that I live and everything that I do. You know, um, we watched uh, many... Uh, watch the Super Bowl, and, and here was an incredible win, uh, five Super Bowls, and uh, Tom Brady, only quarterback to, to win five Super Bowls. It was just a time of great celebration, and maybe you saw the, the parades, and everyone is rejoicing, and they're celebrating this incredible victory. But I want you to know something. God has done something infinitely greater Folks, we don't celebrate often what God has done. We, we celebrate the Super Bowl, which is not a bad thing to do. I, I don't mean to say that at all. But we celebrate these kinds of things. But we lose sight of how incredible God really is. He made a way for us not to have a temporary victory, but for us to have an eternal victory. He made a way for, for us to know him. You see, a God who is completely holy gave his own son to suffer and die on a cross that all of the filth and the garbage and the junk in your life and in mine could be washed clean. And if Jesus hadn't come and died on that cross, we would have no hope. That is something to celebrate. That is something to to be joyful about, to be excited about. He gave us, he gave his all that, that we might be saved. He gave his all that we might call out to God as Father. So may our prayers be marked by a recognition of how great he is. May every time we go to him, may we go to him with the knowledge that he's done something infinitely greater than we could ever imagine. He has rescued and redeemed sinful people. Praise the Lord. That's an eternal victory. Join me in prayer.